All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have Chris Sheridan on the line. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing terrific today. Thank you. Fantastic. And you may hear in the background uh, a little bit of ancient Greek lyre music. And that is in uh, connection with our show today, the Pythagorean Theory of Music and Color, which is Section 17 of Manley Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. Uh, Chris and I are going to go into that today, and we're going to talk about uh, some some different properties of of music, uh, color, healing. We're not going to get too deep into the color stuff, but we'll touch on that a little bit. Mostly we're going to stick around music and some of those theories. Uh, so it's going to be a great show today. We're looking, uh, we're looking forward to it. I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, and Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky, which is an awesome book, a story of Chris's spiritual experience and then subsequent plane crash, which if you have not read it, you got to get it. You got to get it. Uh, it's a great, a great book. Uh, so today, like I said, we're talking about Pythagorean theory of music and color. I'm going to read a little bit from Manley Hall because he is a beautiful writer and a beautiful thinker. And we're using his book, of course, but I want to give you a little flavor of, of some of the stuff that he wrote about uh, before we go into our own interpretations of it. So this is uh, a little, ch a little uh, section called The Philosophy of Music, and it is on page 249 of Secret Teachings Reader's Edition, if you have that one. Uh, again, it's uh, section 17. All right, so here we go. It is highly probable that the Greek initiates gained their knowledge of the philosophic and therapeutic aspects of music from the Egyptians, who in turn considered Hermes the founder of the art. Hermes, of course, Toth in the Egyptian system, or Toth Hermes, or Hermes Trismegistus in the uh, Hermetic, uh, in the Hermetic uh, system. According to one legend, this god constructed the first lyre by stretching strings across the concavity of a turtle shell. Both Isis and Osiris were patrons of music and poetry. Plato, in describing the antiquity of these arts among the Egyptians, declared that songs and poetry had existed in Egypt for at least 10,000 years, and that these were of such an exalted and inspiring nature that only gods or godlike men could have composed them. In the mysteries, the lyre was regarded as the secret symbol of the human constitution, the body of the instrument representing the physical form, the string, the nerves, and the musician, the spirit. Playing upon the nerves, the spirit thus created the harmonies of normal functioning, which, however, became discords if the nature of man were defiled. Became discords if the nature of man were defiled. So what we're really talking about is being in harmony. Harmony is the key here. Um, vibration and harmony as being a key to health. I think a lot of us are familiar with that idea. And this idea obviously goes way back, uh, probably to, you know, he's, he's postulating that it goes back like 10,000 years. So then you're dealing with some sort of prehistorical civilization. Uh, obviously the Atlanteans come to mind or any of the early civilizations that, uh, are postulated, uh, you know, prior to written history, right? So we know that this stuff is old and we know that this stuff goes way back. And I think, like I said, most people are familiar with the idea that vibration uh, is very powerful. I mean, you can see it in your own 
sort of life, you know that certain types of music make you feel a certain way. Um, others make you feel other ways. Some might make you feel happy. Some might make you feel depressed. Some might remind you of a specific time and place. And that's where the Pythagorean ideas, uh, I think, um, are strong because, you know, there's good sort of physical and experiential evidence to, to support it, really, even to this day. Um, you know, they, they would, they actually, actually, the Pythagoreans would uh, ascribe or, or prescribe, I should say, uh, different types of music for different ailments. Um, you know, and that I, I'm reminded today, you, you know, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but I think that that's also connected to the uh, the idea of those solfeggio uh, frequencies, right? The uh, the six frequencies, the six healing frequencies uh, that are used in, in that uh, binaural music and the different types of healing frequencies uh, today, right? I mean, it's it a is. different. It's a different system, but it's still uh, it's still connected to that idea of vibration and healing, right? Well, it is, and you know, Tesla, a lot of scientists um, looking at the world, uh, mystics going way back, really have looked at the world in terms of vibration, that things vibrate. That a say like uh, ice, you take or you take water, so. Ice is water vibrating at a lower speed, you know, because it's cold. The molecules aren't moving around as much. It's very linked with physics. Water, they're vibrating at a water rate. And then when it gets heated up, it's agitated, it's sped up, and then it becomes steam. So even just physically, um, the vibrations, whether it's temperature or electricity, whatever you're putting into it, can dramatically affect the substance. Yeah. And that would be behind the theory of if you change a vibration... Um, or you bring in another vibrating tone that you can alter what you're affecting, um, good way or bad way. You know, a certain song, like you said, a certain type of music, even keys uh, can make a difference. Um, they can make people excited. Yeah. Um, military music is to get people into look, step one, two, you know, the rhythm sure. yeah, of yeah. that. I mean, it's, it, it works. It works on people. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously. Um, I mean, so why at, not have it work for healing? Absolutely. absolutely. And look at, look at, I mean, look at the soundtracks to, to movies and how, uh, how powerful the choice of music is with certain, certain imagery. I mean, you can take a pretty banal and kind of even, poorly acted scene and with the right music i mean it becomes a tearjerker you know we're so mm -hmm. conditioned uh, by that specific music or in addition i think it also just has sort of a natural reaction um or not a natural reaction but a natural sort of uh effective quality on us that it you know creates emotional content within us um yeah it has to do with the story it has to do with your your projection onto the people in the story and your connection to them and so on. But I think one of the big elements is that, that, that emotional, uh, that emotional response uh, that's created by the, the tones and the harmonies or disharmonies or, you know, different, different qualities to the frequencies of the music that are chosen. And I think, and that's what Pythagoras and his followers, followers were trying to, you know, really get at. And it's, you know, it's interesting to see how they how they turned that into a really uh, a therapeutic system. And it was part of the, the healing system that, that they created. And I think they were on to something, honestly, because, I, you know, from my own experience, I know I've, you know, I've had a couple of uh, 
uh, bouts where it's, it's, it's been difficult for me to, to, to sleep um, fairly recently in the last, uh, I don't know, six months or so. And, you know, I, I actually use some of this, this, this healing frequency music. Um, and, you know, whether or not it's psychosomatic or whatever, I don't know. What I do know is that it was re- relaxing and it, and, it, and it did actually help. Uh, it helped me to it helped me to sleep. It helped uh, to relax, you know, my mind and body, and and it and it it worked, quote unquote. So, you know, why that is or how that is, I, I can't necessarily explain. But I know that, uh, and it was the uh, it was the one that uh, it was the eight hundred fifty two hertz one. There, so there's there's six of these things. I'm looking at them right now. So the first one, and they they follow the the pattern of six notes. So the first one, the, the the lowest one, is uh, liberating guilt and fear, and I guess that's uh, analogous to a to a C, right? Three hundred ninety six yes. hertz. Okay, that's for some reason they call it uh, instead of do, they call it ut, ut. Yeah. So so it's ut re mi fa sol la. I'm not I'm not sure why they use that. I would need to look deeper into this, but that's that's the so three ninety six hertz is liberating guilt and fear. Four seventeen is undoing situations and facilitating change. 528 hertz is transformation and miracles. 639 is connecting and relationships. 741 is awakening tuition. And 852 is returning to spiritual order. So, you know, look, that, that makes sense. You know, returning to spiritual order, returning to a sort of harmonic state and a, and a peaceful state in, in one's mind, body, and, and you know, soul uh, is 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 a requisite for a good night's sleep. Certainly, if something unconsciously is is bothering you, uh, eating at you or whatever, you know, a return to spiritual order is 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 necessary in order to get you know a restful night's sleep, right? So that there's a, I can see the correlation there. Have you used those at all? Have you ever tried those those um, frequencies? Not those in particular, but um, as a musician, as a guitar player, mm-hmm. uh, I'm interested in the tuning. Um, 440, 440 hertz mm-hmm. is the A, the A above middle C. Okay. Uh, the A string on the guitar. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, every rock song is either an A or E. Uh, but that's the standard tuning. Um, and there's a lot of people believe that that was you know, a more recent addition in the last 100 years, you know, for standardization, which would make sense, you know, different people playing and there's records coming out in the early 1900s. Um, and that's what I've always tuned, you know, the instrument to, uh, whether it's in band or if it's a piano, is this A440. Um, I think part of the reason why it was selected, because uh, it could be kind of arbitrary, uh, is because it's divisible. It's an even number. But the number that people are really talking about now and you seeing a lot online is uh, 432 um, for, the, uh, for the A instead of a 440. It doesn't seem like it's that much off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make a difference. Uh, they've seen vibration patterns um, on, uh, say, if you put some sawdust or something on a metal plate and then you, you let a sound vibration go and it'll arrange them in a harmonious pattern if it's a certain tuning or a certain frequency note. Um, um, but, you know, being in tune... Um, there's even a term that gets used a lot now called uh, cognitive dissonance. That means that there's a, a difference between maybe what you're thinking mm-hmm. uh, and what you're experiencing. Yeah. Or what yeah. you want and, and what you're being given. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that there's something is out of tune. It's out of it's key. Out of tune. actually it's a out musical of harmony, term. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, dissonance is a musical term. A dissonant chord is not a happy one. It's not, it's a ooh, those two notes don't go well together. Yeah, um, exactly. And there's complicated mathematical and frequency reasons why you can actually see them and why they don't work. Uh, and then there's ones that do. They talk about a perfect third or a perfect fifth or a major fourth. Um, those are intervals. So two things, two different notes, like singers singing harmony. They're singing different notes, but they go so well together. That's when you have harmony. We have two things, two different things going so well together. And musically, they actually create what appears to be a third or other note. If you're hearing both, you're not really hearing either. You're hearing the combination of both of them. Almost like if you mix blue and yellow, you, you get green. Even though it's made up of blue and yellow, you kind of lose a blue and yellow in the green. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that that's a good sense? point. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a blending. There's a blending. It it's a blending on. that works. It's you know oil and water when you have something that's dissonant. Or it makes mm -hmm. you cringe. You go, yeah, it's the wrong note. Uh, and, and but we use that in psychology and uh, sociology with uh, cognitive dissonance that uh, that there's this this out of harmony, but it's very much a musical term. So that's why music is such a great analogy or metaphor uh, for so many things, psychological and spiritual and uh, with society in relationships, e-harmony It's you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, that's what you want, you know, making music together. You know, there's a reason why. These things are so embedded in our language and, and culture uh, because they have a really strong archetypal origin in physics, in light, in sound, and in human relationships. Well, so, yeah, exactly. And even, uh, you know, that kind of gets down to even the ba basis of, of creation um, in, in spiritual thought uh, is, 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 is postulated to be vibrational in, in, in nature. In other words, like the very material creation itself, you know, is created by, you know, God spoke the world into existence, right? In Genesis, mm -hmm. God said, let there be light, right? So it's a sort of, uh, uh, what are you going to call it? A, a direction of creation through, through voice, right? It, and then it in, was uh, spoken. Thus it, it is spoken. spoken. Yeah, exactly. And that's it's certainly a, a vibrational quality to it. And, you know, esoterically speaking, you can see that the connection to the idea of vibration and material, uh, material creation. You know, even uh, in John, in the New Testament, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's John 1, uh, 1 through 4. You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm reading that actually from, uh, from Yogananda's fantastic book called The Second Coming of Christ. It's actually a two-volume uh, interpretation of the New Testament, and he goes into vibration and sound and relates that to Om and the Holy Spirit, and it's a really, really interesting book. I'm going to read a, a little bit of that because I like this so much, and it's talking about... Uh, uh, vibration. So word means intelligent vibration, intelligent energy going forth from God. Any utterance of a word such as flower expressed by an intelligent being consists of sound energy or vibration plus thought, which imbues that vibration with intelligent meaning. Likewise, the word 
that is the beginning and source of all created substance is cosmic vibration imbued with cosmic intelligence. Thought of matter, energy of which matter is composed, matter itself, all things are but the differently vibrating thoughts of the spirit, even as man in his dreams creates a world with lightning and clouds, people being born or dying, loving or fighting, experiencing heat or cold, pleasure or pain, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's an interesting connection then in the sort of esoteric and inner meanings of uh, New Testament and Old Testament writings, um, referring to vibration and sound uh, in the creation of, of the very, uh, you know, material universe itself. And, you know, that, that's, that's actually uh, upheld, of course, like I said, you're talking about science and, and, you know, quantum physics and at the level of, uh, at, the le- at the quantum level, it is certainly not uh, a world of, of hard things. It is a world of, of vibration and, and energy. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think that those, those, um, those ancient philosophers and those ancient meditators and rishis and wise men and women were getting at, uh, at the heart of something that, um, that science is just beginning to, to kind of grasp today. You know, people are still uh, afraid of a lot of these ideas. I was just looking up... Um, I was just looking up this, um, that Japanese guy that did the, um, Masura Moto. He was the water, the water guy. Remember the, yes. and, and the first thing that comes up, this is, and I, I don't know, you know, how scientific or how, you know, how, how sort of scientifically based his, 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 his experiments were, but I, you know, I think he was, he was moving in a direction probably of, you know, more, it was more spiritual in nature than it was scientific. And that always, of course, throws people when you talk about science and spirituality together. But the first thing that comes up, it's, you know, it gives us the dates of his life. Apparently he died in 2014. He was, Masaru Moto was a Japanese author and pseudoscientist who said the human consciousness has an effect on the molecular structure of water. And again, I, I'm not trying to argue that, you know, that he was some great scientist or, you know, by the, in terms of what the Western idea of what a scientist is, but it certainly had a lot of effect on people and how they looked at things and how, you know, and getting them to think about how their own thoughts and their own sort of energetic vibrations contributed to the, the atmosphere around them. And I think really that's what the important thing is. And it seems to really rub these rationalists and, and atheists and scientific materialists the, the wrong way when you start talking about meaning. As if like the earth, you know, in our lives, they, they want it to have no meaning or something, or they're trying to justify the fact that, that, that they feel that there is no, you know, meaning or purpose behind anything. And, you know, I think that's a dangerous idea. I mean, I'm not saying that I have the answer to what the meaning behind everything is, but you can certainly see when people are without meaning uh, that their lives are, feel very empty you know, and I guess a lot, you know, a more sort of um, negative point of view would be, well, you know, you can, you know, convince yourself of anything and give yourself a purpose in life and then stupidly and blindly go about, you know, bumbling your way through life with some false belief. But, you know, the reality of the fact is they've done study after study on people who have positive beliefs about life and feel that there's meaning connected to life. And inevitably, those people are happier, they live longer, they have better relationships with others, they make more money, they, you know, they're sick less often, and so on. So I mean, the the proof is in the the pudding, so to speak, then, Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, you know, and right. I don't know if that, so, so I, anyway, it's, I'm kind of going off on a, on a tangent, but I just, you know, I, I want people to look and think about not, not to be quote unquote unscientific in terms of what we believe, but also remember that science is one mode of looking at things and it's one way of looking at things. And it is not qualified to answer questions of meaning, nor should it be used to investigate meaning or spirituality. It's, it's good at, at figuring out things like cause and effect and looking at, um, you know, natural science and you know, like, like the effects of things and, you know, investigations into the material world and things like that. But it's not going to give you any source of, of understanding when it comes to the soul or when it comes to emotion or feeling or relationship or any of these things we know are real things. We know such a thing exists as love. And a scientist would say, well, it's just a, you know, a biochemical process that, that, you know, is caused by the, by the brain and it's a neurological, whatever, you know, it's like the material explanation of everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that it oversimplifies something to say that something, you know, to be so reductionist and say, well, you know, this is connected to this, therefore it's the same as this, or therefore it's nothing but this. It's a dangerous leap to make. Because you can't measure something and then you, you know, say that it doesn't exist. So, so things like, you know, meaning and truth and beauty and love, which we all can experience, uh, they're difficult to explain. They're difficult to measure. They're difficult to understand where they come from or why. And, they, you know, some of them are culturally based and so on. But it doesn't mean they're not real. Right. So. And I think that's what we're getting at with a lot of this, um, you know, music and vibrational stuff and, and the therapeutic use of music and so on, you know, it connects to those, those invisible parts of ourselves and those kind of ephemeral emotional elements that, you know, help keep us sane and healthy and connected and positive. So. Right. Well, it's, you know, that's the thing with science, I guess, as a larger, larger term yeah. science is generally uncomfortable with things that are, that are, mushy well, it should be, I mean, that's its job, right? Ethereal. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I, when you talk about overstepping your bounds, it's, I guess it's the old joke is if you, um, you know, a, a lover will, will give his, his beloved, um, you know, a dozen roses and she smiles. Whereas, you know, a scientist would, you know, cut it up in a million pieces and give you a, you know, a, a data report <laughs> on, you know, chemical yeah. composition and how much this weighs and, and all that. Yeah. Well, here you go. I've, I've, you know, uh, now that might make some people, scientific minded people very happy yeah. to receive that, but, you know, but there's a big difference in how you yeah. look at things and, um, you know, science is great. I want science to uh, inform the engineer and oh, exactly. the construction crew exactly. on how to make the bridge. I don't want crossing a bridge to be a leap of faith. The <laughs> only thing I want faith in is that the workers followed science I don't correctly. Want, yeah. You know, no, I was, I, I, I'm reminded of you that know? video of, uh, and because I'm from the Northwest, so this, of course, was always in our sort of back of our minds. There's this, there was this uh, bridge. It was called the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and they call it Galloping Gertie. And it it was constructed so that a high wind would actually make it buckle and jump, basically. And and it would like, I think it eventually blew itself apart, but uh, it would, you know, like, like when you, you know, kind of whip a piece of rope 
it would do that sort of a thing when the wind would when the wind would come up because it was uh it was apparently it was constructed upon faith and um and some wish wishful thinking oh, it's it's wait is that there's uh there's one that yeah has yeah, yeah. no it's the one on youtube it's, it's whipping yeah, and, and then one. it flies that's apart. the one it's okay. black and white do you know what caused wind that? wind you know blowing through under it caught it picks it picked up the okay. wind in some strange way because of the okay. way it was constructed they didn't um uh, the variable of the heavy winds that come through that particular channel that it goes over were not accounted for. Apparently they thought, Oh, these materials, oh, okay. it, it's going to be so heavy and the materials are, you know, will just prevent it from, from having any problems with this wind. In fact, it was, it was too light and the wind got up, I guess, underneath it maybe and caused it to basically mm-hmm. bounce and buckle and it just blew itself apart. I mean, it's a cool video when you watch it I mean, in the sense that, uh, you know, it's fascinating to see something like that happen when, you know, but that's, you know, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that has anything to do with anything. It's just, um, that's where you want, you know, that's when you want clear well, science and engineering is in the construction of things in, right. you know, in the manufacture of, you know, a set of contact lenses or some like really precise, you know, like in our cars and in our, you know, equipment that we use. And so I, I understand that. And I'm not, obviously I'm not against that. And we use technology. What I'm saying is, well, I don't want to think those things to be variable depending on someone's feeling. Of course feeling not. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or somebody's and that's the mood. Beauty of it, science. It should, science yeah. should transcend them. That's amazing and it's great. And we need those things. But we also um, need philosophy. But to find an algorithm to predict, yeah. you know, what's going to make your girlfriend <laughs> smile. Yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. if I need that. No, you for know sure. what I mean? Maybe I just listen to her. Maybe talk. No, um, you're right. And those are know. those are the things, those are the areas of philosophy and, and art and, and religion and, and music and, and mythology. But then why is this I, I mean, I wonder why we as a culture, a modern mm-hmm. culture, we want science to explain these things mm-hmm. that are kind of unexplored. Yeah. There's a, there seems to be an undercurrent of that. And I think it's because unknown things or unexplainable things are they can be difficult to wrap your hand around. And science, I guess, in the last century and, and of course, proceeding, was thought of as something, well, this will solve all the mysteries. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not the God. They're not angry. It's thunder yeah. caused by, you know, high pressure systems moving together with a low pressure and it makes a cloud and, you know, all this stuff that explained all these things that had been superstitious. But, and that's great, but it can only go so yeah. far. There's things that, but we kind of want it to. I don't. Oh, it's it's not true. Or it seems there's a lot of that. Yeah, I don't. Know I think um, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it might be getting at this. Maybe there's a fear of the unknown. There's a fear. Yes. I, I think it has. It's, it's probably very uncomfortable. hardwired into us. I mean, I, I remember watching uh, Jordan Peterson talk about that a little bit. He talks. He calls that the dragon of chaos. And his kind of psychological theory, his maps of meaning, kind of outlook on life is. That, you know, as 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 in earlier days, you know, human beings were sort of we were, we were kind of hardwired for survival to be afraid of the unknown and chaos. And so order for us, you know, meant certain certain things. And I think today, you know, melt walled off cities and it meant, a, you know, a, a strong, you know, sort of masculine king. And it meant, you know, it meant certain sort of archetypal and mythological ideas. And I think now, you know, we, we still have a mythology. Our mythology is, you know, science and materialism and, and hedonism. I mean, that's a mythology. 
you know, people basically want science to solve their problems and they want, you know, materialism to give them meaning in their life. Like I'll buy three cars and then I'll be happy and I'll get a 10,000 square foot house instead of a 900 square foot apartment and then I'll be happy. And, you know, it's a simplified kind of idea of, of what is going to going to give us satisfaction. But that's all looking without into to a material, you know, to kind of our material existence. And some of the, you know, some of that stuff is necessary, obviously. But but I think the idea that that's going to fill up some hole in our soul or give us some some, you know, some sort of spiritual meaning in our life is is definitely a, a, a misdirection. Um, you know, and I am I'm going a bit off on a tangent, but it kind of reminded me of that. But they, I, I think that, that the idea that science can explain those, every, you know, all these mysteries, these mysteries were scary things. And, you know, the world was and still is a dangerous place. So we think, oh, well, science and technology will get us out of these problems. The problem with that theory is that science and technology has gotten us into most of the problems we're in today. So to look at it and say, well, hey, it's going to solve its own problems you know, you got to think about Einstein and you got to, you know, get out of the mindset that, that's, that caused the problem in the first place in order to solve it. And I'm paraphrasing poorly, but, you know, that was the gist of one of his great sayings. And, and you know, until we do that, we're, we're not going to solve these real, real deep, deep problems we have as, as, as human beings. And, you know, the issues with, with climate change and overpopulation and you know, and all the political strife and issues with, you know, between different religions and mindsets and so on are not going to be solved through science and technology. I can tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. you're, you're fooling yourself if you think that's the case. You know, all this stuff is, you know, in, it's part of the problem. It's not part of the solution, you know? So harmony, getting back to right. harmony, you know, we've got to look at the way that the earth naturally works, the way the harmonics naturally work, the way that cycles naturally work on the planet. And I think that's what Pythagoras was getting at to kind of, you know, round back to where we actually started. We're talking about Pythagoras. It was about harmony, you know, and the first mm -hmm. place he started, one of the big ideas in, in, in the Pythagorean um, philosophy was the music, the idea of the music of the spheres. Um, and I want to read this little bit from Manley Hall really quick. Um, because it's interesting. It's the idea that the, the planets have their own particular sound and vibration to them. Uh, the most sublime but least known of all the Pythagorean speculations was that of sidereal harmonics. It was said that of all men, only Pythagoras heard the music of the spheres. Apparently the Chaldeans were the first people to conceive of the heavenly bodies joining in a cosmic chant as they moved in a stately manner across the sky. Uh, Job in the Bible describes a time when the stars of the morning sang together. And in the Merchant of Venice, the author of the Shakespearean plays writes, there's not the smallest orb which thou beholdest, but in his motion like an angel sings. So little remains, however, of the Pythagorean system of celestial music that is only possible to approximate his actual theory. So the idea is that, you know, the planets themselves the the you know the the sort of universe has a sort of cosmic order to it and and a harmony and a vibrational quality to it that 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 operates in 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 tandem you know we ourselves are 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 part of that and i think that's one of the things we have to remember and it's you know it's an important it's an important idea 
I think to, to, to sort of think about meditate on and so on that, that, you know, we as even small, tiny individuals in this vast universe are part of a, a harmonious whole, you know, an interconnected web. Right. And, uh, you know, it's easy to feel it to feel insignificant sometimes, isn't it? And to feel like, um, we're just, uh, you know, kind of, um, free floating. Would you agree? Well, it is. And that's, you know, again, that's another one of the gifts of science yes. is that is this separateness, this independent uh, of anything else. Yeah. Uh, cold, hard facts. And it can be, yeah, that it is devoid of meaning. And interestingly, though, um, speaking of science and mathematics, which is really the language of science, that music, you know, the way Pythagoras derived um, the octave, uh, the fourth, the fifth, uh, the minor fall and the major lift. If you listen to uh, uh, Rufus Wainwright uh, lyrics from the song, um, you know, he's speaking to that, that there is, but it was all very mathematically derived. Mm -hmm. um, the whole music theory is, if you look at it on paper, it is, and it works out great, but it is a very much a mathematical equation, the time signature, one, two, three, one, two, three, that's a three, four, or one, two, three, four, da, da, two. It's, they're called time signatures, uh, the measures that repeat uh, these patterns. So the timing of the notes, you have this kind of horizontal um, meter and math, and it works out, and there's so many measures in a stanza or in a verse or in a chorus. Uh, and then you have this vertical component of the pitch, so you have the low bass notes down here and they go up the musical scale and there's this graph. It's these five lines for the lower staff and five lines for the, the treble staff. Uh, and then all the notes and the sharps and the flats fit neatly in there. And vibrationally, you know, they have, you know, the mathematical correspondences between the two. Um, when you have intervals, uh, that is a space from between one note and another note a fourth or a fifth uh, are commonly used um, intervals in music and they harmonically work out. If you play two of them at the same time, they work out. Those are all derived mathematically. So it's kind of interesting that it had such a very you know, scientific origin, mm -hmm. really at the dawn of science yeah. you know, in mathematics and geometry, at least in the modern civilization that, that uh, reached the West uh, and, and came through the, you know, the Near East to um, you know, to where it is today through Europe uh, and the West, uh, that music, um, understanding these keys or you know, literally the keys and these tones um, came out of a, from a really a mathematician. Uh, but now it's almost like science and music have sort of <laughs> separated. That, yeah. Oh, you know, I'll listen to music for fun. And then, oh, I'm going to get down to my science over here, this math that, I mean, I think if some of the stuff were taught in schools, um, people would understand music better. But boy, they would appreciate math and probably like it a lot more if they realize half the songs they're listening to, um, you know, you could use them as lessons in uh, not only just in music theory, but in mathematical relations mm -hmm. um, and, theory, and understand math. Like the seven notes of the music scale um, it's the octave is then the, the repeated one. The eighth one is actually the first note, but it's the octave above. 
And those seven notes can correspond, talk about the harmony of the spheres. There are seven spheres, mm -hmm. seven planetary bodies. Yep. Uh, and then in the chromatic scale, uh, if you think of a guitar, uh, it has 12 frets uh, to get to the octave and then 12 more. And then you're at a, another higher octave. Or on a piano, if you play the black and the white keys in succession, um, you get 12 of those before um, it repeats again for the pattern repeats. Yeah. So, you know, 12. Well, you, you can know, see, zodiac, I was say, you see the astrological and zodiacal connection to the 12 and then the seven ancient planets with the seven, with seven notes, Absolutely. right? And it's right there with music. Yeah. I th I th Which relates to color, too, because if it's a chromatic scale, you think chrome is a, you know, chroma key or chroma color. Um, yeah. Kodachrome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's no, a exactly. color. Uh, so again, this, these relationships are just, you know, amazing and they are just as real mathematically as they are in our hearts and in our souls and in our beings when we listen to these things. Even if you know nothing about music or math, you can, anybody, really most anybody on the planet, because it transcends language, um, will have an experience with a harmonic chord or a dissonant chord let generally me, uh, they're going to like one over the other yeah exactly let me read this really quick because it directly relates to what you were just talking about with um with the colors and the sounds and so on so this is uh this is in secret teachings uh red when posited as the lowest color tone in the scale of chromatics thus corresponds to do uh the first note of the musical scale continuing the analogy orange corresponds to ray yellow to me green to fa blue to soul indigo to la and violet to c or t the eighth color tone necessary to complete the scale should be the higher octave of red the first color tone um which is which is interesting and then uh the, quoting from the principles of light and color by uh, edwin edwin d babbitt manley hall goes on and says um as c is at the bottom of the musical scale and made with the coarsest waves of air so is red at the bottom of the chromatic scale and made with the coarsest waves of luminous ether as the musical note B, the seventh note of the scale, requires 45 vibrations of air every time the note C at the lower end of the scale requires 24, or but little over half as many, so does extreme violet require about 800 trillions of vibrations of ether in a second, while extreme red requires only about 450 trillions. And, you know, we could uh, obviously go on and on with this stuff, but... Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of pressed for time. We're getting towards the end of the show. I do want to I'll share one more thing. Thank you, by the way, for, for, for all that interesting, uh, interesting explanation that you did just a moment ago before I, before I read that. That was awesome. Um, so then he also goes on to point out about uh, colors in the, in the zodiac, because we were just talking about that a little bit. Uh, when the colors are related to the 12 signs of the zodiac, they're arranged as the spokes of a wheel. To Aries is assigned pure red. To Taurus, red, orange. To Gemini, pure orange. To Cancer, orange, yellow. To Leo, pure yellow. To Virgo, yellow, green. To Libra, pure green. To Scorpio, green, blue. To Sagittarius, pure blue. To Capricorn, blue, violet. To Aquarius, pure violet. And to Pisces, violet, red. So you, you see how these, these colors... Uh, play out across the spectrum of, of, of life and, uh, and, uh, you know, throughout the, 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 the universe. So hopefully that, uh, 
that shed a, a little bit of, of light and, and we maybe gave you some things to think about. Definitely check out um, Manly, Hall's, uh, Manly Hall's section in the Secret Teachings on the Pythagorean Theory of Music and Color. Also, uh, as I talked about, uh, or we both talked about, um, it's a couple weeks ago, uh, the Donald uh, the Donald Duck video, Donald Duck in Math Magic Land is is just a really great uh, resource. A little twenty seven minute Disney video that's on YouTube that you can look up. Um, and then check out the music of this uh, this guy uh, that I that I was playing at the beginning of the show, and I'm gonna play it, play us out on that when we're done here in a second. Um, it's called the Ancient Greek Liar, L Y R E Liar, by Michael Levy, and the last name's L E V Y. Um, and he's recreated uh, some ancient musical instruments and recorded them. And he's he's doing it in the, the ancient wisdom style and therapeutic style. Uh, you know, and think about how how these these harmonies and and different um, different tones affect you in your daily life. I mean, sometimes the things we're listening to, hearing, seeing. Uh, oh, there's the dogs. See, we haven't had the dogs for a yes. while. Uh, Speaking of harmonious tones, the no. dogs in the background soothe me. <laughs> I know. Oh, we've got a great show when the dogs show up. There they are. I think it's a C sharp, that note. <laughs> well, Thank you. Well, <laughs> you right. I don't Thank know. Right. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, so that's something to think about is, uh, you know, how harmoniously is or how harmoniously are you living and and what is the, you know, state of harmony in your in your daily life? You know, people talk about jangled nerves, you know, and I, when I think of jangling, I think of like a, it's, it's, it's not a harmonious sort of way of living. You know, it's, you know, when we're listening to awful music and we're watching terrible, you know, angry, violent shows and playing video games with, you know, pounding soundtracks and, you know, blood flying on the screen and all these, you know, just destructive things here. And I'm not saying that you know once in a while that stuff, you know, a horror movie, a slasher film, whatever. Sure, you know, we, those are all great. You know, it's great fun, and there's a you know sort of a cathartic sort of thing that goes on with that stuff. I understand, but you know, you've got to think about the things you're choosing to allow into your environment and into your mind, and they definitely have an effect on us. You know, reading too much news, uh, listening to too much news, watching too much news. It's the news is. Uh, let's let's be honest with ourselves whether it's from the right whether it's from the left whether it's from the center it's all a bunch of bullshit i mean honestly it is it's all <laughs> it's 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 designed specifically to sell you products you know we all know and we've all heard you know how you know television was basically invented to sell products and it's true you know it's just it's a vehicle for advertisements and the internet is a vehicle for advertisements for the most part and radio is a vehicle for advertisements. And the amazing thing is we'll even pay for this privilege to be advertised to 8 million times a day. Think about that. Do you remember, do you remember, and I'm, I'm not going to go on a long tangent on this, but do you remember when you used to, you used to have cable and there was no commercials on cable and that was why you paid for it because there was no commercials. And then they realized, yes. hey, these idiots are paying. We got them all sucked into this. Let's uh, let's throw some commercials on there because there's nothing they can do about it because we basically did away from with free TV. So, hey, screw them. You know what I mean? Like, what a, what yeah. a racket. You're paying one hundred and fifty dollars a month to watch commercials. It's it's amazing. Well, let me just please do because I'm going down. A, I'm uh, going down a negative advertising a negative rabbit hole. OK, 
pull us I'll, up. I'll pull this. I'll pull, pull this back out. I'll. I'll. I'll yes, change, change the, the vibrations. vibrations. <laughs> Advertising. One of the great. I'm talking about radio and television. One of the greatest yeah. advertising tools, uh, certainly in the era of radio, are channels. Oh yeah. Sure. You know, call one eight hundred five five five. You know, and then oh, you get that stupid yeah. earworm in your head. Oh, and you yeah. can't get rid of it. But that's how you remember a yeah. phone number. That's how. So, you know, the music um, or the ABC is learning the ABC is that it's yeah. a song. So, for any, you know, there's, don't underestimate the, positive the power side. of music point. and how it can really learn and inform uh, the um, you know, Shakespeare uh, plays and going all the way back to Homer. Uh, it was in a different meter. It was a hexameter. Yeah. But that's a meter. And that's music. These are, you know, poetry. It's where poetry and music kind of uh, come together. Uh, that you have this rhythmic, that's how people were able to remember these stories for hundreds, maybe thousands of years uh, during the oral tradition era and pass them along because there was a meter to them, iambic pentameter for a, you know, for a sonnet from Shakespeare or something. And that helped actors yeah. remember them. It helped us remember them and share them. And a sing-songy thing can help you memorize as mm -hmm. long as it's a decent mm -hmm. song or if you decent stuff to memorize. And, you know, a phone number, the preamble of the Constitution from uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah, for the sure. 70s, these little cartoons with the music thing. And I know the pre preamble to the Constitution by heart because of that song. It yeah, got, yeah. You know, I watched cartoons enough that it got no, in the brain. The power. It's, it's memorized so use forever. The, use so, the positive power of, of that to, to, to you know, that's, that's, a great, that's a great point. We need more of that, more music yeah. and memory and learning uh learning good stuff Listen, remembering yeah, good I, stuff I, you know i'm not trying to, yeah. to knock every you know everything on television or in the media I, there's obviously there's a lot of great <laughs> stuff out there and, and all that but well not a some, lot you gotta you gotta look my, my look point really is 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 to to regulate what you're watching and really take a look at how you feel when you're watching certain things and see that you know that you're you're sort of putting yourself on a diet of of you know, from, from some of this stuff that causes you, you know, anxiety and negativity and so on, uh, because it's just not worth it. You know, our lives are too short and there's, you know, most of the stuff that that's on the news, you know, there's not much we can, we can really do about it. We can, you know, send out some positive energy and, you know, pray for the people and these, the tragedies that they want to tell us about, but you know, 99 times out of a hundred, it's something that we're completely powerless to do anything about. And that, that's not, you know, to fill your head with a bunch of negativity that you, you can't take action on is a lesson in futility. And, and so I'm saying, like, you know, maybe try to minimize the amount of that, you know, minimize the amount of that if you can. And listen to, you know, some of these positive musics and uh, musical, uh, you know, sort of albums and things like that. And, you know, the ancient wisdom and, you know, listen to, you know, beautiful Indian flute music and some of this great Greek stuff and, you know, stuff that's based on. Uh, these ancient theories and these ancient um, ideas uh, of harmony, you know, that Pythagoras shared with us. So that's going to do it. I always recommend the Delta Blues for there a prescription. That, uh, that there we go. I, I agree with you on so, that yeah. one. And that's about as, as earthy and, <laughs> right. and real as it gets. So, all right. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining us this week. Um, if you can, please uh, support us at, uh, Anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye. Thank you again, Chris, for uh, all your great insights and musical knowledge. Sure, and, thank you. And uh, we will be back here again uh, next week. And actually, we'll be here on Thursday as well, Wednesday night or Thursday. We post our midweek shows now. 
but we, you know, we do our more formal show on Sunday. So thanks again for joining us and have a great week. Goodbye and God bless.